I'm joined in the studio by Ellie Lee, who's a sociologist from the University of Kent and who's written a commentary which appears in the next edition of the Journal of Family Planning and Reproductive Healthcare called Wither Abortion Policy in Britain. Thanks for coming in to talk to us, Ellie. It's my pleasure. So um, why did you want to write this article? What prompted it? Basically, we had this whole discussion going on through much of 2012 in Britain, whereby... Um, various people and various agencies appear to be wanting to call into question um, what the abortion service was doing um, and putting forward the idea that really um, it wasn't treating women very well at all. This appeared to me to, in a sense, um, be part of um, a long-standing development which as a sociologist I've been writing about um, actually through Um, the whole of this century, whereby people who, for religious reasons or for other reasons, don't like abortion um, and consider it morally problematic, instead of working to explain properly to people why they don't agree with abortion, instead they argue that women's health is harmed by it um, or the abortion services aren't doing the right things. So over the years as a whole, we've had a whole collection of these types of discussions. So we've had scare stories about abortion causing breast cancer, um, scare stories about abortion giving women post-traumatic stress disorder, scare stories about abortion being organised as conveyor belts where women are rushed through and not treated Mm. properly. Um, So a whole sort of collection of of different discussions going on. Um, So in sociological terms, it's what we call the medicalisation of moral concerns. Um, and a kind of displacement activity whereby the types of discussions which properly are to do with realms of philosophy and ethics um, come to be posed in the language of medicine or science. Is that because the language of medicine and science is a bit more accessible to the general public that these people are trying to influence or, or you know, there's a, sort, a certain weight put on them that perhaps a philosophical argument might not be seen to have? I think that's definitely the the main thing that's going on. I think that um, because in most societies um, it's clearly understood that claims that are posed in the language of science or medicine have a purchase and have an import um, and appear to um, have a type of neutrality um, which places them beyond um, conflicts to do with morality or politics. Mm. So what you find all the time these days is that people who essentially have moral claims to make will often, instead of starting their argument with a moral claim, say things like, well, the evidence shows, or the research shows, or as scientists will tell us. Um, I mean, in my tracking of the discussion over the years, I traced it from beginning somewhere around the mid-1980s in the United States, where an active decision was actually made by organisations who oppose abortion to try and reframe their arguments as arguments about women's health. Um, and quite actively create a different kind of discourse in which they say they care about not just the fetus but also the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's conceptualised as um, woman-centred uh, opposition to abortion. Um, and I think that way of going about things has um, been adopted internationally by people who, who don't agree with abortion. And it's been quite successful. in Yes, well, well there's, there's various ways of tracking the, the, the success or lack of success of, of this type of strategy. Uh, I mean, I did this in a previous piece of research um, comparing the United States and Britain. In the States, it certainly had considerable effect in some states in America. Um, So in America, because there's a a state-based system Mm. through which there's room to manoeuvre, you can get quite different scenarios in in different parts of America. 
And it's certainly the case that in some states, these types of arguments have had considerable purchase and considerable influence over the way policy works. So, for example, the clearest example of this is certain states where um, women have to be told certain things before they have an abortion yep. about um, the effects the abortion might have on their health. The other really significant impact all of this has had in the states is in policy and laws around later term procedures. Claims about the idea that later term abortions give women serious forms of mental illness um, have been very, very influential in creating new restrictions um, around that particular type of procedure in the United States. Here, so far, um, at the terms of law and policy, um, these arguments have no effect whatsoever because as it happens in Britain, we still have more or less exactly the same law and policy on abortion as we did in the late 1960s. Mm. Now, you could argue... And this is, I mean, one of the reasons for writing this commentary, in fact, was that um, it seems to me that from the point of view of healthcare provision um, and what medicine and health policy should be trying to do, that is actually quite a problem. Because since 1967, there have been significant innovations in the technology of abortion provision, mm. most significantly the development of early medical abortion, um, so a medical regimen, which did not exist in 1967. So I think that is something those politicians and policymakers really should address um, because, you know, clearly <laughs> um, the system of law and policy we have for medicine should take into account uh, medical innovation and medical technologies. But unfortunately, instead, we've had this very kind of peculiar pseudo-moralistic debate going off in all sorts of different directions about abortion counselling and breast cancer and this, that and the mm. other. It's diverted people from addressing much more important things that, that really do need to be addressed. Do you think part of the problem is that abortion sits by itself away from a wider sexual health framework, a sort of overarching view of it? It, it, it does and I mean that changed a little bit under New Labour um, but in a, a fairly pragmatic sort of way which is one of the, the things I try and get at in the commentary. So before the New Labour government um, there was a total separation um, between policy on contraception, other types of sexual health service policy and abortion. Um, and it was abortion was very much seen as on its own, <laughs> um, as nothing to do with family planning in mm. general. Now, that perspective isn't one which is shared by people who work in the abortion service because most people you talk to who work in the abortion service consider it part of a spectrum of things that they provide to enable women and their partners to plan their families. So <laughs> the way in which people who provide services tend to think about this has always been very much at odds with um, the law and policy which separate the whole thing out. Under New Labour, things did start to come together a little bit. However, what was interesting about the New Labour period was that even though you had this sort of um, drift of abortion within to a wider policy framework, but at the same time there was an absolute view we ain't going to do anything to change the law. <laughs> so you had a situation where, on the one hand, um, the view was put forward in public by New Labour that abortion, well, we don't like it very much, there's far too much of it. Yeah. But at the same time, a set of policies which did make it easier for providers to provide abortion. Um, What's interesting now is where we go with this government because that whole um, strategic arrangement came to an end in 2010 and it always was going to. We've now been left with a kind of vacuum in policy terms 
So in Britain at the moment, we actually don't have a policy. Um, I mean, people listening to this may not be aware of that, but we still have the abortion law. Um, but there isn't, we're kind of, formally speaking, we're back to the kind of pre-1997 position where we kind of don't really have a policy framework on sexual health. Um, what's going to happen next? I mean, the, the government in, in Britain has been saying since 2010 that it was going to publish a sexual health policy. It still hasn't done that. They're now saying, they said last year it would be published last year. They're saying this year it's going to be published this year. Um, you know, who knows? We'll see if they ever actually publish it and where they situate abortion um, as part of all of this. Um, you said earlier that, you know, New Labour sort of did the their abortion policy on the quiet on the side. Yeah. And do you think there's ever going to be a point where that kind of moral, philosophical argument carries on in one place and then provision of services, that just is allowed to get on with itself, really? I... I think that wise politicians would do well to place a lot more trust in the integrity and professionalism of people who provide abortion services. Um, and it's one of the things that I find most problematic of the nature of the abortion discourse driven by, you know, very significant politicians, most notably Andrew Lansley. Um, what happened over 2012... Um, is that they seemed entirely prepared to publicly traduce abortion providers and to say things about them which are simply unwarranted and untrue, um, which is one of the things also that motivated me to write this commentary. I mean, things were said in public which were literally just not true, lies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I very, very much hope all of that stops. Um, it's good to know that the government has now announced that it isn't going to um, carry out the investigation and inquiry into the provision of counselling as part of British abortion services. Um, so it had said um, up until last month yep. that it was going to do that and it was going to reorganise abortion counselling and potentially prevent abortion providers from counselling women seeking abortion, which would have created all manner of problems. <laughs> um, they've now said they're not going to do that. That is good. So they're going to apparently stay out of all of this. And I hope that generally speaking, if they consider it for whatever reason polit politically problematic to actually do something positive, um, what we would hope they would do is stay out and not make things worse and let people who know about abortion provide abortion in, in the way that's most sensible. I mean, obviously, but once you begin discussing the moral issues the, that surround abortion... Um, it opens up a whole set of very important questions which are more general. Um, and those are very important questions for any intelligent person to, to want to try and work out. So I think it's very, very important that as a society and a culture, um, we have a grown-up moral discussion about these types of questions, um, which may then have an effect for law. Um, if we decide not, and if we decide to stay with the law that we've got at the moment, the 1970s, uh, 1967 Abortion Act, if they decide they don't want to fundamentally change it, then I think that they do need to take into account um, the practicalities of providing abortion. Yeah, it's an interesting dichotomy there, isn't it? Not letting people get on with it and micromanaging the abortion service, Yes. but ignoring the new evidence and, and new science and new ways of doing things. Well, exactly. I mean, that's the thing that is so frustrating about the events of the last year. Policymakers seemed very prepared to court all sorts of half-baked 
um, you know, things that people just sort of randomly <laughs> decided they would say about abortion, um, but areas for which there really is proper evidence um, in relation to which regimens work, um, ways of organising things which enable women to access services more quickly, um, perfectly safe and effective ways of using drugs, um, which as it happens are also more cost effective. Um, but all of that um, is just routinely ignored, which is a very peculiar <laughs> situation to be in. I mean, I don't work in the abortion service, but if I did, I would find it phenomenally frustrating. So do you think this is now a call to people, perhaps listeners of this, readers of the, the journal, to actually highlight you know, new evidence pushed back against these things with proper science. Yes, I think there's, well, I think probably there's, there's two things that need to be done. One is that I think that people who provide abortions and who work in the abortion service, supported by those of us who think what they do in very difficult circumstances is quite something, um, actually need to be a bit more out and proud about what they do. Um, I think last year, my impression is that a lot of people who work in the abortion service were really taken aback, caught on the back foot and felt extremely defensive. Um, you know, they were accused of doing all manner of things and they just didn't quite know how to respond um, and became very worried about what people would think about what they were doing. Um, I think instead of responding defensively, people should come out and proud and say, we run a blooming good service. We are doing extremely good, important work here in difficult circumstances. Women need what we do. Um, my research on women who access abortion services in this country actually indicates we have an extremely good abortion service, which Britain should be really proud of. It's an aspect of health care, you know, which you can't say about lots of aspects of health care, which is actually really, really good. Um, so there's a lot to be proud of, and I think that message needs to come out, that, that people who work in this, you know, they don't get thanked for it very much. You know, being an abortion doctor, it's not like, for example, being an infertility doctor or, you know, working gyneco gynecological cancer or something. Uh, I mean, people don't normally thank you for performing abortions. Um, I think more of us should do, actually, um, because somebody's got to do it. It's difficult work, and it's very, very important work. Um, so I think that kind of spirit... Um, needs to be much more abroad. Um, and then, yes, I think there are specific questions that need to be pushed in relation to um, areas of policy which probably don't require the law being fundamentally reformed, um, or at least only parts of it, um, but where specific things really need to be addressed. And, and the clearest cut cases is early medical abortion. There's others as well to do with specifics of how later abortions provided. Um, which could do with being addressed. But these are really sort of, you know, policy-based, specific questions of simply bringing what the service can do into line with um, existing knowledge bases and existing evidence. Mm. And I think that that, that very much need, needs to be pushed. You, you know, you're saying abortion doctors should come out and be proud about the service and things. Is yeah. there any other country that people have been able to do that and where that's actually made a, a difference? In the States, I think probably as a response to the politics of abortion in America and also the fact that abortion isn't provided through a national health service in the way that it is here, um, abortion doctors work together through the National Abortion Federation and making statements about their work as abortion doctors. Um, in this country, we don't really talk about it that way. Was I an abortion doctor, which I'm not, I'm a sociologist, so it's easy for me to say some of these things. Was I somebody working in abortion services? I'd be quite interested um, in that organisation, and maybe there are equivalents in other countries. Um, 
In the States also, um, I know that there's organisations for trainee doctors um, who are out and proud about being people who are training to work in a service they think is important um, and who openly talk about the importance of women's choice when it comes to abortion and being abortion doctors because they want to give women more choices. Um, so I think maybe there could be creative um, exchange and lessons to learn about, about that kind of approach. So if the politicians aren't going to grasp the nettle, the uh, profession should? I think, in a way, has no choice. I mean, obviously, it's a bit difficult. F I, I, I feel difficult as somebody who is a sociologist working in a university department writing about this to tell abortion doctors what they should do. Um, however, I certainly think, um, in concert with those of us who do think that the service is a very, very important part of reproductive health care, um, yes, um, in a way there's no choice um, given what we can learn from the politics of the situation over last year and in fact over the last several years to try and push forward a bit and find ways of, of doing that.